Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Amelia Mora-Mars, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a life coach specifically for moms that works with moms that grew up with an emotionally unavailable mother themselves and helps them to become the mom that they always wanted to be. And she's also a mom of 10 children, which is why I was super interested in having her on. She has a lot of experience to share. Um, So we're going to start out with her personal story um, with her first child. So welcome, Amelia, first of all. And then wherever you would like to jump in, um, whether it was during the pregnancy or shortly after birth, um, yeah, sort of what that first child and that transition into new motherhood was like for you. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate it. So yeah, my oldest one um, was the most difficult as a mom. I I really worried. I had a lot of anxiety leading up to, to labor and delivery. And the reason for that was because I was raised by emotionally unavailable mom and I did not feel close to her. I actually was really afraid of her. And so I worried that I would not have what it would take to attach and feel close to my daughter. And then when she was born, she was born with jaundice and then she had to go in the little incubator thing, which was really, really sad um, to watch that. And then, and then she was a crier. She cried a lot. And if she wasn't crying, she was crying in my head because she cried so much. And so that in itself Um, fed into this feeling that I could not, I did not know how to comfort and attach to my own child. So that kind of brought up all those emotions, all the fears that I had, and it actually was was happening. So um, she was like that probably for about three months. But um, even now, she's just more sensitive to light, to stimuli. She um, was diagnosed with bipolar two when she was about 15 years old. So yeah, those first years were, were, were really tough for me um, because it just kept bringing up that feeling that I wasn't um, prepared, maybe that I wasn't, that I was inadequate, that I didn't know how to comfort my own child. Mm. And so what, did you seek out any support at that time? Were you already a therapist at that point or I was not I was one of those people <laughs> that I um I had read a ton of books I was um did a lot of parenting classes I did anything I could to try to prepare myself but I didn't know how and and because of my my difficulty with relationships 
I had difficulty trusting, you know, people and, and disclosing about myself. So I wanted people to perceive me as having it all together on the outside because I was really afraid. So I was hiding behind that. And so it wasn't till later. And I, and I knew this um, really at 19 years old, I remember being in college and we had to pick a book to read. And, and um, the book that was one of the um, suggestions was, was called, um, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And I looked at that title, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And it, and it terrified me. And I read the book and the, um, the author interviewed people and he says, why are you afraid to tell me who you are? And the best response he got was, because if I tell you who I am and you don't like who I am, that's all I have. Mm -hmm. And so that was so scary for me, but I didn't actually do the work to really try to figure that out till, um, till I was a young mom. So it was just kind of a, a seed that was planted. It was a seed that was planted. I wasn't quite ready, but I, I became aware of the fact that the thing I really needed was relationships, but I was afraid of that. So I would read books or do anything I could to try to get the knowledge mm -hmm. without the connection, right? We hurt in relationships and we heal in relationships. And when I was finally ready to, okay, I'm a, I know what I'm avoiding, you know, then um, that's where the healing really comes and is in this connectedness. So when you first decided to become that you were ready to become a mom, had you already kind of had this awareness that you were kind of hesitant to enter into relationships? And, and also what did that look like for you and your, whether it's a partner or husband or that sort of relationship? Yeah, I think it was easier with an adult, mm -hmm. you know? um, but yeah, it was something I, I knew about myself. Um, I was afraid to face. I, you know, it, it's kind of like this for me. Um, well, one of the things my mom used to do when she would become very angry is we had this hall closet and had the band-aids and the towels and, you know, kind of alcohol, not drinking alcohol, but rubbing you know, alcohol. alcohol, right? All that first aid stuff. And she would throw it out on the floor. And as a kid, it was overwhelming because like, oh my gosh, now I got to clean this all up and sort mm. this all up. And as a child, I thought therapy was like that. I was afraid that the therapist was going to take all my stuff and throw it on the floor. And I worked so hard to compartmentalize everything. And like I said, get myself to believe and other people to believe that I had it all together, that the thought of um, that might happening, you know, that, that I would unravel mm -hmm. in my own work. So, so it was something I was aware of, I was afraid of, and I wasn't really ready till later. Um, so it kind of was pervasive in all relationships at that time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so then after your daughter was born and you said she was a crier and, and that sounds like it was a struggle for the first, I don't know exactly how long, few years maybe. And then where, where did you go from there? Did you then have another child shortly after or? Is there anything you'd like to yeah. share about that transition yeah, before I you did. have the second child? I did have another little girl, the first five are little girls. And um, she was completely different. She was like oh, this little cuddler, this little loving little cuddler. So then it was like, oh, okay. So they are different. Maybe it wasn't just me. It was just, maybe that was just her little temperament, her little personality. 
And, um, but you know, as, as moms, we often criticize ourselves or, um, put these things on ourselves and it's not necessarily so certainly parts of it were, you know, but, um, I don't think she was reflecting back that I was a horrible mom is <laughs> that, you know, she really struggled. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so do you feel like it was your relationship maybe with the second child that it was more snuggly and cuddly that kind of helped you to recognize that or were, th- were there some other, you know, treatments or supportive people in your life that also helped with that transition? Um, I had started to do my own therapy, you know, and then um, there was just a, a significant thing that happened was my mother um, at the time, uh, my, we weren't brought up with my father being abusive, but he had hit her at this time and she came knocking on my door and she was looking for a place to stay. And it was so awkward for me, you know, because I hadn't forgiven her um, and dealt with my own stuff really yet. And it was before the second baby came, I was actually pregnant with her. So it was like my clothes, um, you know, that in-between stage when you're not quite in pregnancy clothes, they were a little bigger. Yeah. So my mom came to stay and I knew I needed to have her stay. And I, I felt as though I could lend her everything that I had and I could lend her my clothes because that was kind of her body size at the time. And um, she would nap on the couch. She was always a napper. And when she was napping, I would watch her. um, And she was just in a lot of pain, like physical pain, because of what my father had done. Mm. And I had this memory of her saying, when I was a little girl, I was hit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And these memories of things that she used to say. And I would just watch her in her pain. And it just was like this supernatural thing of me forgiving her. For, for what had happened, even though she didn't ask me to, like, she never apologized at that point. It didn't come till later. Um, it, that was another thing that helped me just really kind of release the, um, the anger, the hatred I had for her, for her being so hard on me in particular. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big piece as well. Yeah. It sounds like finding compassion for her as a for human. Her. That's like also trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah. That makes a lot yeah, of I sense. think as women, you know, we carry this collective pain, you know, her mother was one, um, her mother had wanted to be a, a Catholic nun and that was her dream. And her father told her, no, you're going to get married. And here she was this 15 year old girl. And, um, he said, no, you're going to get married. And he had someone he had already picked out and it was someone who was twice her age. Ugh. Yeah. And so she had 18 children, six died at various ages, you know, and her children were afraid of her, you know, just like I was afraid of my mom, you know? And so just these stories that, you know, that are passed down and the things that we, um, collectively are a part of as women. So. Well, and so what did your relationship with your mom look like sort of from your earliest memories, what does emotional unavailability look like, like in your specific relationship? Yeah, with her, you know, she, um, if I look back now, she probably had bipolar too. Interesting. And so she was extremely moody. And I was just one of these kids that was just always trying to figure things out. 
And um, I knew that a messy house and I knew that noise really bothered her. So I took it on as my responsibility to try to keep the house quiet and try to keep the house clean. And so I would get creative with my siblings and say, okay, I'm going to put on the music. You know, you do the kitchen, I'll do the bathrooms, you do this, you vacuum and then make it like a game, like a time. So I was parentified. And what that means is I became a little parent. You know, my parents were also immigrants from Costa Rica. So just the language barrier. Uh, my mom barely finished the 10th grade. So writing little notes for her, translating things. Um, so as a parent before my time. Yeah. <laughs> and just carried a lot of anxiety and fear of trying not to get her angry because then, you know, yeah, we would all get hurt. Right. And so was she um, physically abusive at times or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So heartbreaking to think about that as, as a mother yourself, you know, to think about what that must've felt like to get her to that level, like what that experience must've been, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, and, and that's the thing. And and that's why I have the fascination with attachment and, and the clients that I work with. It's because when you have a parent that is unpredictable, that's terrifying for children. And, and the, the person who's supposed to be your source of comfort is your source of fear. So you want to go to them, but then you're afraid to. Mm-hmm. So that's a very difficult situation for a child. You know, it's, I love you and I hate you. You know, I want to be with you, but I'm afraid of you. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you navigate that as a child? Would you continue to reach out to her or you just tried to not have any needs, try to be helpful and just kind of ignored any sort of emotional things that you were experiencing yourself? Kind of a a few things. She, She used to call me her little secretary. And I like that. I like that I could do something you know, that would, um, that's that I would get approval. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's common, you know, with women raised by emotionally unavailable moms is this need for approval. Um, I hid behind busyness, you know, I would just do things. If I sat on the couch, she would say, well, what do you think you are a millionaire? Or what do you think you are a decoration? So it's like, okay, so that's reinforced that, okay, staying busy is where I'm going to get my approval. Mm. I was a great student. So I, um, you know, hid behind academics, books, getting praise from teachers. Um, and, and then I remember to making a decision at a young age, thinking like, Hey, my mom can be affectionate at times, but she's scary at times. So no, boom, no more affection. Don't get close to her push her out. And then I became more like really, really Mm self-protective. And that's a common thing too, you know, it's because you don't trust. And so it's like, okay, I'm just going to be aloof, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, not let people get to really know who I am. Um, Certainly if my mom doesn't really want to, then why, you know, would I even want that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's ways of being, there's ways of self-protecting that become very unhealthy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So um, just to kind of fast forward through where we were um, before. So you have, 
your second child now and you're having a different experience just with a different personality of child. So where, where do you go from there in terms of deciding to have more children? And um, I'm interested to hear specifically, I know you mentioned you had twins. So when they come into the mix. So, yeah, so I had a girl, girl, and then it was my 10 year reunion and we went to our 10 year reunion and I got pregnant and um, didn't think anything much about um, that my pregnancy was different. It just seemed kind of the same until I was about seven months. And then I looked like I was nine months. And um, the doctor would check. She's like, wow, you're, you're really big. You're measuring so big. She's like, well, let me just check if it's too much water. And nope, you're good. And it was my 36 week appointment. And um, she did the same thing. She did an ultrasound and she was really high above my stomach. And she says, oh, and there's a little head and there's a little heart. And she had an illustration on the wall of twins. And just because I get nervous in doctor appointments, I was just asking questions about the twins. I'm like, oh, when the first baby comes out, does the second baby know what to do? And she's like, oh, no. And she was explaining, you know. And then she took the whatever it is, you know, the ultrasound thing and the probe and put it really, really low. And she said, and there's a little head and there's a little heart. And I'm like, wait, 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 are you telling me there's two? And she said, yes, there's two. And, and she was mortified. She was so embarrassed. So at that that point they should have been able to see it, but they just hadn't. I see. Correct. Right. So that was 36 weeks. And then I went to 39. They induced me at 39. I would have gone 40. And then I had Did they induce you because you had twins. Yes, because she knew I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And at that time, she had only done C-sections for twins. But she knew of a colleague who specialized in twins. So she sent me to him and had me um, be seen by him. And he looked at the pelvis and everything. He's like, I think you could do this. I really think the way your body's built, um, you could deliver them. So I was so- what, What was the reason that they gave you for inducing you early? So that he could be there. Oh, so I see. Could, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. could be there. His schedule. Because the second baby was a little footling. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so he came just for the nick of time for the second one. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, that's wonderful that they let you deliver, let you, whatever. But I know, right? They gave me the opportunity to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Little girls and they were perfect. Yeah. And what was that experience having two little newborns at the same time? It was so exhilarating. It was like, oh my gosh, my body did that. That is such a cool trick. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) You know, and then with the, like, um, you have the pulmonary, the pulmonary people come and, you know, all the staff or preemies, you know, and they would come and look at the babies like, oh, you don't need us here. Mm -hmm. And so it was just such a great feeling. I was just feeling really blessed that these babies were, were really, really healthy. And did you, um, did you do any breastfeeding throughout your, I did, I was never really very successful with breastfeeding. Uh, usually when my cycle returned, you know, um, I did as much as I could with them. I really had to supplement. So my husband, Well, I'm just kind of picturing that I, and I've talked to other people that have had twins on the podcast in the past and, just talking about the position even of the I did one at a time. Yeah. One at a time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just would have their schedules just a little bit. So, um, just a little bit off. And so they, um, it worked. Yeah. That's great. 
So at this point, you have a two, a two-year-old, a one-year-old and newborn twins. Yes. What does your life look like? Are you caring for all of them by yourself? So my husband had worked from home back when it was considered unprofessional and, you know, people just, you, you, you know, you didn't want people to know, you know, that it, cause it just was considered unprofessional. Mm-hmm. So he worked out of the home. So I always had a second parent there. So, you know, even when our kids got older, we would drop off our kids for school, pick them up, you know, breakfast together, all that kind of stuff. So, and he's, my husband is very hands-on, like nothing's beneath him. He cooks, he cleans, he bakes, he does little girl hairdos, everything. So, um, so it worked, but because I had the twins, I did have one of my um, aunts from Costa Rica come and she stayed for a while. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So at first I would have her, you know, hold them and I would do things, but I could see now here. She's my mother's sister. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I wonder what her, yeah. Yeah. So she was number two and my mother was number nine. Whoa. And so my Thea was a good worker, a hard worker, but she was not a connector. And I could see that empty blank look on her face as she just kind of held my twins and I thought mm. oh, okay no 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 okay that that can't happen so I had her do everything like all the cleaning not the cleaning like the like the cooking things mm-hmm. like that that was up her alley so that I could hold my babies uh, more because I just thought oh no that's such an important point that it's not just having support like just hands available or somebody there. It's like the right kind of loving support and energetic being that you want to be around your little baby. Just, you know, because with an attachment specialty, there's that synchronicity. There's that, you know, between two adults or adult and a child, you know, it's, there's communication without even words, right? Just the cooling and the looking at each other and the the pointing and all the things that babies do, you know? Mm -hmm but she would hold them facing outward. Their little faces were outward. You know, they're all mm-hmm. facing the same direction. And she just had a blank look on her face. And yeah, I thought, no. Did she have her own children or no? She did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. yeah. So then um, continue with how <laughs> the rest of it goes, um, your mothering journey and so whatever. Then like- the earthquake hit. Ah, oh, in the Northridge. Yeah. Yeah. This is 94, 94. So that was a mess because we were, we lived, um, you know, not in the Valley, but pretty close to the, to the epicenter. So there was a lot of damage to our home and just having to go through that whole ordeal. You know, my husband had the twins at the time in his hand, he was going down the stairs and I knocked him off his feet. He's a big dude. And he just went boom, 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 down all this, you know, he had, he held them great, but he took the fall, you know? Yeah. And I remember an article about, you know, babies being born during a time of crisis. <laughs> and I remember thinking, who's going to take their clothes off? Everybody's so terrified, you know, but that's what happens. You know, you're scared and couples come together. Right. So mm-hmm. then I was pregnant with child, child number five, which was another little girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at so. this point, were you kind of like, am I ever going to have a boy or were you kind of happy to have, I was, no, I was very content. And my husband, the, his family, they were all boys mm-hmm. and so he loved having little girls. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love having a daughter. I can't imagine having a son, but I'm always curious about people that have mm-hmm. multiple children, you know, how that feels. So, um, so number five, anything of note about this little being? No, she was just cute. Yeah. And sassy. She's a a deputy now. (laughs) Awesome. Very, very sweet. All my girls were really calm, very sweet. Um, so people would walk into our house and be like, I can't believe there's all these kids here. Cause they were just, you know, little girls. Yeah. 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 So then time went by and then I um, started thinking about my my husband and how he is such a hands-on guy. And I thought, wow, it'd be so cool if he was a father of dads, if he would want, you know, boys. Mm-hmm. And so then we had a son and then he needed a brother. <laughs> so, And at this time, you know, I'm growing emotionally, I'm relaxing more. I'm not as uptight. I'm not as perfectionistic. Um, so. And what about physically on your body? I'm always curious about that with, you know, people that have had multiple pregnancies, especially when they're pretty close together. Like, does did your body feel like it was able to kind of recuperate really quickly after each pregnancy I think so I always you know wait I woke up really early and I walked um I didn't notice anything different that what I did notice with with my second son so that would have been the seventh child my I, my legs started to hurt me like Virgo's vein behind my knee mm-hmm. and so I started to wear support hose and they're hard to put on but they they're like wonderful once they're on but they're really really hot mm. yeah really hot but it was like I really needed those to help and that was during the pregnancy itself or yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then that went away after you yes. gave birth yeah that went away yeah and then my seventh child was a little boy Kenny and um he was, everything was born you know he was born fine everything um but a, about 18 months started to notice that he quite wasn't he wasn't quite the same so he wasn't talking, which was fine, um, but he became very moody, very, very difficult, very challenging. Um, and so, you know, later in time, we discovered that he was a, a boy on the spectrum, the autism mm-hmm. spectrum. Mm-hmm. So he, he's very high functioning. He has suffered um, severe depression, um, but yeah, so that's really hard too. You know, that you have a child a certain way and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my goodness, where did that child go? Mm-hmm. And then we have this new child to deal with that's um, harder to reach. Mm-hmm. And did you need to seek out specific support for him in learning how to navigate that as parents? Or was it kind of something you figured out on your own? Well, I wish I would have known about it sooner. Um, but we actually didn't find out till later because he functioned well in school. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't till like he was about 13 when it became more problematic mm-hmm. um, mood wise you know um he well, had 13 a, is such a hard time mood wise anyway I think for most people yeah and so he was really challenging then mm-hmm. prior to that not as much and he would get his schoolwork done and you know all that kind of stuff but um 
but definitely a child on the spectrum and is unique you know, issues. Yeah. Yeah. And then number eight. Um, so that's Emily. All good. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she's great. And then, um, and then we had two more boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, so what are their ages now? So the oldest one is 32 and the youngest one is 17. That's amazing. So they're all kind of like pretty back to back. Like there isn't a large gap between any of them. Yeah. The first five, I always say the first five and second five, there's three years, but I had um, all 10 of them in 15 years. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Your body is. My body did it. It's just super woman. Yeah. Just built for babies. Yeah. And I'm curious to know whenever people have larger families, um, if that was something when you entered into your marriage or your relationship that you talked about, or was it something that just kind of happened organically? You kind of said, you know, we had these five girls and then I thought my husband would be such a good influence on a boy. And then he needed, you know, that kind of thing. So was it something that kind of unfolded over time or did you discuss, like, we really want to have like a larger family? No, 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 actually quite the opposite. Cause um, he said he wanted one. And I wanted zero. So our joke is that one wow. was 10. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it just, it really evolved because I did too. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to get to that place where I really wanted to embrace um, growth because I felt like for me, I felt like my greatest fear was becoming a mom. But really my greatest fear was allowing anything to control my destiny in life you know, Mm -hmm. and the thought of a fear doing that was more terrifying to me. And I had this thought as a young woman, like, what if facing my greatest fear is my greatest healing? What if the fact that I feel like I don't know how to nurture, I learn how to nurture. I know how I learn how to love. I learn how to be more playful. I learn how to just relax and not be so perfectionistic. What if, Mm -hmm. and it was that, that led me to um, finding out. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking us through all of that. That's so beautiful. And I'm so glad you had such a great experience of pregnancy and birth. Um, I've talked a lot on the podcast of, with a lot of different women that have had some pretty traumatic experiences over the years. And I'm glad that wasn't your experience. Yeah, me too. I certainly have those clients too, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's very traumatic and, and helping them go through that and navigate that. Yeah. So I would love to transition to talking a little bit more about your business and the work that you do with women. I guess if you can tell us kind of like some of the key things that women come in struggling with, like, is it usually women that have like a newborn and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so intimidated do you ever get people that are considering becoming a mother and overwhelmed by that? Or are they usually mothers of older children that are potentially, you know, like they're not having a good relationship or is it kind of across the board sort of different? I feel like there's certain themes, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lack of boundaries is a big one. Um, Can you give us an example of like how that shows up? An inability to say no. Mm -hmm. 
fear that the mother not being able to say no to the child, anyone, or or even if it were a call, you know, a a young woman, uh, college girl, like she's Mm -hmm. had difficulties with her mom and it shows up in the dating relationship. So it's this idea that I, um, am afraid to say no, because Mm -hmm. if I do, I potentially lose you and I would be abandoned. And if I get abandoned, that perpetuates the abandonment I had as a child. So I will do anything to hold on to said person, even if the relationship's very bad mm-hmm. and dysfunctional and might even hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's one thing. So I, I've had women with postpartum and um, postpartum depression depression yeah Mm -hmm. women raised by um, moms that they felt intimidated by or women raised by moms that smother them (laughs) so that they feel like I have no space Mm -hmm. so in both cases it's this idea that I need to be what my mom needs me to be you know Um, the idea of a, a, a mom with anxiety it's they hold back they don't fulfill their own dreams because they feel responsible for their mom's emotionality Mm-hmm. So then they just kind of stay, you know, um, small. Um, so yeah, just a sense of that. I really never had my life. I give and to others and when's it my turn? When's it my time to do what I need and want? So very fear-based and they just stay really small in their life and don't, um, they're just afraid to, pursue their own wants, dreams, hopes, and yet they're resentful and angry, you know, but they realize that they're the ones that are uh, keeping themselves stuck. Yeah. And so how does that show up in their life with their children specifically? Well, I, you know, I always say that our children are like, are like little mirrors. They reflect back what they see. And sometimes we don't like what we see. So, um, so a lot of times the work that I do, the child's a little bit older because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier to control, we'll say in quotations, a smaller child, but when they start to be coming on their own, that's when the kind of the terror, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that sense of, you know, I had such a childhood, I had such childhood pain and heartbreak and I felt so lonely and my mom abandoned me and my child can abandon me. And then where does that leave me? And then that leaves me not just that I'm abandoned, but then my own child, um, this fear that I failed them, I ruined them, you know, I'm making the same mistakes that my mom did. Right. Got it. Yeah. So you're, it's basically like their concern is not so much, well, maybe it is that they're, they're not, yeah, that they're not being who the child needs them to be. So is it usually like behavioral issues that are coming up with the child that they're kind of thinking like, oh, this is a reflection of, of my mothering, or it's that the child is pulling away from them in particular? Yeah, it could, it could be that it could also be, this is what I tell women. It's like every woman stands on the bridge between the past and the future, right? And only that woman can bring healing in the present. That's it. So she's in the middle of her daughter and her mother. And so sometimes it's right. Her relationship with her mother that's reflecting like, Oh crap, I don't want this with my daughter. 
you know, and sometimes it's more the daughter and what's going on in her life and the mother not being able to reach her Mm -hmm. because if she's an anxious mom and the daughter feels smothered, she's going to push her mother away. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh my gosh, now there's that fear. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if it's a mother who's more like, um, she might be more intimidating, like maybe she's really can do sharp woman, but she doesn't know how to connect, you know, then she tries to turn on the control more. Right. And then the daughter again, pushes back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always tell parents to the greatest parenting tool is you. Mm-hmm. is how you react and respond to your children. As a mom of 10, I have 10 different children. I have to react and respond a little bit differently, right? And so what if I'm going to use a tool per se, it might work on one, but not on another. So it's really more about me and how I show up as a mom connecting to each one of my children. Yeah. The connected moms are to themselves, right? And the more... Um, you know, healing they've had and more compassion and are more empathic to themselves and others, it's easier to connect to people, right? Mm-hmm. And then your children are more res- responsive. So would you define like the type of parenting that you align with as anything in particular, like attachment style or gentle or any of these like sort of buzzwordy kind of things? I thing? feel like there's more buzzwords, but yeah, the specialization yeah. when I went to school is called attachment specialization. Okay. And it's not like the attachment parenting of co-sleeping and it could be, but that's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. It's understanding how we attach to our parents will continue to show up in our adult life. Right. And so whether you're an anxious attachment, anxious, avoidant, avoidant or secure, um, you know, that just kind of shows up in relationships. So the thing that that was scary for me, like, oh, no, I'm in this box, you know, but they say in attachment specialization that there's earned secure. So the more you are around people that are loving and secure and empathic and compassionate, the more you change yourself, you know. So I would describe myself now, you know, as more secure. So did you, I have like so many questions that keep coming into my mind that I'm just like, oh, I have another question, but back to your first question, I guess you could call it gentle. You could call it the conscious parent. Um, I I like to call it more like inside out, like, Mm -hmm. you know, who you are on the inside shows up in the outside, you know, versus the other way around. Mm -hmm. So if... I mean, to me, it sounds like you did not have that secure attachment as a child. And so you have sought it out in other relationships. I think that for me personally, I can relate to a lot of this personally myself. So um, one of my concerns is like developing a securely attached relationship with a child like not getting too enmeshed with them where it's sort of like, I'm relying on you. It's like the other way around, you know, like you can rely on me, but in the absence of these other secure relationships in your life, like not becoming so dependent on the child. So would you say that it's, it's seeking out other like friendships and your relationship with your partner? Um, And then I'm also curious to know about your relationship with your mother, if that factors in at all, like if that's transitioned over time, I think you alluded to it a little bit. Um, 
or if there was a period of time where you had to create some space from her in order to develop this sort of ability to securely attach to others. I don't, I don't know if that was like too many things, but does that anything you'd like to respond? Yeah, to I think, I think it is very important for adults to seek adults because that was one of the big mistakes of my relationships with my mom is that she really didn't have friends mm-hmm. and she struggled sometimes with psychosis and things. And so she would ask me questions like that were adult questions. And as a little child, I'm trying to figure out not the truth. If she asked me a question that um, like, do you love me? No, I would, I hated her, you know, but survival, right? So yes, answer yes, you know? So um, if she would have had, if she would have sought help, um, that would have been helpful. If she would have had more adult relationships, you know, that would have been helpful. So yes, definitely seeking as a mom, adult relationships. Now I have all these adult children now, and it's a beautiful, you know, comes full circle. I have to, they're, they're wonderful as, as friends. We love to do things together, you know? Um, but it's too much for a child. A parent is called to contain the emotions of a child, not the other way around, right? As parents, we need to be smarter, bigger, safer, you know, all those things for our children, for our children to come to us. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then your, your question about my mom. So I, I consider it my, my 40th birthday present. So she'd come over, she'd knock the door many years later. And the daughter that I was pregnant with was standing next to me when I opened the door and my mom looked really nervous. And she said, could you ask your daughter to leave the room? And so I asked her if she would go. And my mom said, I just came back from a retreat. And the nun said, I have to ask you for forgiveness. So it had never occurred to her. She used to say to me as a child, why can't you forgive me? Why can't you forgive me? Like demanding it. But she never asked. She you know, expected it. And so, and then she said this, why was I so mean to you? And I said to her, because you did to me what was done to you. Mm-hmm. And she said, that's right. That's right. And I remember that feeling like, you know, she was asking me for forgiveness, but she could also ask it of herself because yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens with generational trauma and cycles. And that's why I do the work I do about breaking cycles because you carry this stuff for so long, you know? I was 40. My mom, I think, was 25 years older than me. So all these years, right, she carried that. um, And so I felt like it really came full circle for both of us in that moment. Yeah. And then what about her relationship with your siblings? Did it kind of look similar? Are you the oldest? I'm not the oldest, but I took the oldest role. Yeah, it seemed like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, just really different just completely different where uh, I took things a lot more personal, but then I was the one doing the protecting, you mm-hmm. know? So I, I took a lot of the punishment, you know, because of that. My older sister is very different. She's a lot like my mom, um, completely different. 
mm-hmm. that was a whole nother challenge for me was navigating the two of them because they were very similar my younger sister was like a runner she would just if conflict take off i'm out yeah yeah she just run out the back door <laughs> you know so we all dealt with it very different and then years later we had a brother and i remember my mom was going to hit him and i that, at that point i was a teenager and i just said you will not hit my brother and she was so offended she went and told people that you know my daughter's so you know evil mm. <laughs> for standing up to me um but you know i wasn't going to allow it to happen to him yeah Oh man, it just like breaks my heart to just like picture that scene in my head, you know. Um, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. Well, I yeah, one thing I want I was curious about that, you know, people talk about this like village idea of of mothering, like that people don't live close to their families anymore and things like that, which is true, but also I'm curious that you know, you all grew up with this mother and then your mother was the way that she was like, were you ever wanting her to help you with your, your children or like your siblings, you know, you kind of mentioned your aunt that you had this realization, like, "Eh, nope, you're not going to be holding my twin babies. Um, Did that kind of show up throughout their lives when you were kind of caring for all these children that you, you felt like you couldn't get any family support because they were the way that they are or how did that um, go for you? No, because I had sisters. So we would support each other. My in-laws were great. I would have my mom babysit for short periods of time, mm-hmm. but um, my kids have opinions, <laughs> strong opinions about um, just the little things she would do. Like you have to eat before you drink. Whereas in my husband's family, drinking with their meal was so important, you know, but just like dogmatic, rigid, you do the way I do it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we didn't have her babysit as much yeah. as the others, but I did feel like we did have some support, you know, church friends, that kind of thing. But I, I have this fantasy of having like a women's center for women because of that, because I know when women leave my office, a lot of them don't have friends. Mm-hmm. or have trust issues, you know, with people. And so I would love to have a place, a physical place where moms can come and learn uh, all kinds of things from um, expert professionals um, to help them with their parenting. Well, let me know if you uh, do that, because I would love to be a part of that in some way. I think that we're pretty close to each other um, in California. So that's amazing. I mean, it's, it is so hard. It's so hard to make mom friends and everybody has such strong opinions about the way that they parent and make all the different decisions that are involved, especially in, you know, when children are really young about how to school them and their medical care and how they sleep and what they eat and, you know, all these things that it can be, it can feel really like divisive. Um, But it doesn't need to be, you know, we're all moms and it's really, the hardest job I've ever had for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Most important job and yet the most challenging on the yeah. planet. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and 10, that is just miraculous to me that you did it with 10 little ones. Um, but it sounds like your husband is a really great support too. So that that's really cool to have that too. 
Um, is there anything else that you would like to share? I mean, I would love for you to share your, your website and then where people can find you on Instagram or wherever you um, are most active on social media. Okay. No, I would just like to say to women to remember and to really embody that you are the most important, influential and impactful woman in your children's lives. And what you do is priceless. It's so important. Our children need us and, and we need each other as well. Yeah. Um, yes. So as far as um, connecting to me, um, my website is the 10X Mom Coach. And um, my web, my Instagram is the same. Let me just kind of double check here. Um, yeah, it's just 10X Mom Coach, not the. 10X Mom Coach is on Instagram. And my counseling is Transformation Counseling, and I'm in Westlake Village. Amazing. Yeah. So, and do you do, do you work with people online too, or do you mostly do in-person sessions? I prefer in-person, but yeah, I definitely do telehealth. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And yeah, all of those links will be in the show notes. So if you're, if you didn't catch that, then um, they'll be there. And thank you again so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.